Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk. It is show number 359 for February 20th, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about extra jointer support, taming tapers, diamond versus water stones, and leaving the bark on the slabs. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit. how to twerk with Matt Carmona. That's right. He's very good at that. I've seen his Instagram feed, and uh, it is fantastic. Let me tell you. (laughs) He sometimes regrets the things he posts, but I enjoy them. Okay, so <laughs> thank a few people who helped us out, uh, and this is something that we really are enjoying. The process of dealing with this whole Patreon thing, we were unsure about it, but you know what? Now it's actually, it's got its groove. People are getting cool stuff in return. There's extra content rolling out. We really like it. So go to patreon.com slash woodtalk, and you can participate, and we'd like to thank Micah, Mika, Fitzgerald, who helped us out, and um, once again, patreon.com slash woodtalk if you want to participate. We appreciate the support. All right, guys. Matt, stop twerking. We're going to start talking some woodworking, which kind of is like twerking in a different way. It's basically the same thing. Kind of, yes. Uh, All right, so what's on the bench? For me, uh, you know what? I was supposed to start this um, trestle table project this week, but the kids have off from school today. So it's uh, it's turned into a family day and got a little email done here and there. So not a whole lot, but I did last week pick up a, a lot of five quarter cherry and I was uh, the, the top of the trestle table I really wanted thicker material and I'm not like Cremona I can't just go you know grab a cup of slab out of the backyard I actually have to like strategically buy this pre-milled stuff so I was really pleasantly surprised to find out that uh, Austin Hardwoods here maybe not the cheapest in the world but they had four quarter five quarter six quarter eight quarter like anything I could have possibly needed so I was like sweet so I picked up some five quarter thinking by the time it gets milled down I actually will have you know pretty close to a good solid inch thick top which I think for a, a table of this structure trestle table I think that actually excuse me behooves the design just the look and the feel of it um, so I'm super stoked about that and the cool thing is I've got some cherry that I uh, I didn't dump off all of my wood in Arizona I've actually I did bring some of the choicest stuff I knew I could use so I actually have all the eight quarter cherry uh, that I need for this table sitting up on the the rack so that should be coming I guess tomorrow my first day of actually milling and firing up like the real tools I say that in quotes the real tools will be tomorrow. <laughs> So I'm sure I'm sure Dewalt Flexvolt appreciates that. Uh, <laughs> nah, they could suck it. All right. Um, the uh, but yeah, the funny thing though is I haven't done any tune-up. I haven't done any calibration. So I'm just going to start this project as if I'm like I've been here the whole time and expecting my tools to all be set up. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if I spend my day to- like tuning a jointer, which could very well be the end result. Uh, right. Yeah. So that that's uh, everything regarding that project. But I did actually spend most of my weekend doing a very unpleasant task of cleaning a grill. And uh, this grill by the previous owner, I don't. He must have had it for like ten years, and I don't think he ever cleaned it ever. And I, I'm scraping like three quarters of an inch thick layers of grease and accumulated crap. All of the um, the gas. What is that thing called? The, the the metal thing that has all the little pinholes in it for the gas to come out. What was that? What do you call that? You guys know what mm-hmm. that's called? A who? The burner? Yeah, yeah but like right. it, there, it feels like there's, it. there might be a, spe- a cool name for it. Like a fancier yeah. name. Anyways, <clears throat> it's got a whole the bunch of holes. gas combustulator. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's call it <laughs> <The> that. Solomonite. <laughs> yes, the flux capacitor. Uh, and it's got all these little pinholes. Like 80% of them were clogged. 
So the cast wasn't even coming out other than like a couple little pinholes here and there. It was just, just to increase the pressure on the gas, right? Yeah, I'm guessing, right? It had to. <laughs> it was a very efficient grill, actually, you know, because it's not burning any gas. Uh, so I, I'm sitting there trying. I, I actually got brad nails because it's the only thing that was like thin enough but sturdy enough that I could tap it with a little baby hammer and clean out all those little holes. I'm like, this is you turn the gas off first, right? No, no, no. I was to- I was doing it, and I, I had a, a lit cigarette next to me, and I don't even <laughs> nice. smoke. But I figured it would be nice to <laughs> to live on the edge. But it would complete the look. Yeah. You were using stainless steel brad nails in the hopes that it wouldn't spark. Yes, exactly. So uh, that was not a very fun project, but that that did take up wow. you know pretty much all of Sunday to get that stupid thing but, done. But you're like the like the fourth person, and most of it is because it's been super warm here. So mm-hmm. like this weekend was like spring cleaning in the neighborhood. You could see everybody was out cleaning grills and like washing windows and stuff like yeah. that. And you're like the fourth person I've, I've run into who said the same thing. Yeah. Like I just got this new grill or not new grill, but new to me grill. And it's like, I don't think anybody ever cleaned this. Yeah. It's just like, that's nasty. Clean man. your grill like, people. It's the number one. Like, it, can't you taste that? Like, it's, it, there's isn't that a red flag right there. Yeah. Where there's all the flavor is. Yeah. It, well, that's the thing you want a little bit of it, right? But you don't want it, like, that's the thing. I go in there. It makes me feel like I'm jumping into someone else's shower that's never been cleaned. It's like Ew. there's someone Ew. else's food schmutz in there. That's not my burger grease, you know? They're so I'm like, like licking it, though. It's- <laughs> I know. I know. It's just it's in my head. You know, of course, the grill grates, those are the first thing to get clean. That was fine. But everything underneath that, it's it's dangerous. <laughs> it could start, a, you know, a bigger fire. And then if you're oh, actually, you know. Light on fire and call it done. Self-cleaning. <laughs> well, it's already yeah. done. <laughs> you turn the heat up at the end of the night, right? And just let it cook while you eat. Yes. Actually, yeah. I do that uh, at the end of the day. That's a good way to keep your, your grill grates. This, we should be doing this in the off topic, um, is to actually run the thing at like the highest temperature for about 10 minutes after you finish cooking and allow it to burn everything off. And then it's a quick scrape. Um, that's how I actually keep it. You know, do well, my. You were going to use some of that cherry to, to make like salmon planks, right? So you can tie it back into woodworking. Yes, that's that. Let's bring it full circle. Uh, I did oh, actually yeah. go through my alder supply. So maybe I should use some of that scrap to make some cherry planks. Some cherry plank okay. salmon might be a pretty tasty. I'm Yucky. pretty good. I think so. Actually. So anyway, that's all for me. Except it'll taste like chicken from all the stuff already on the grill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's chicken, why everything tastes like burgers. chicken you didn't clean the grill. Yes. It'll just taste like burnt grease. <laughs> so <laughs> yummy. Uh, so Matt, what do you got going on? Oh, I spent a lot of time stacking all this lumber I've been cutting. Stacking, stacking, uh, stacking. I am very sore today. I did most of it yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I was stacking for about mm, probably eight hours throughout the whole day. Dang, that's a workout, dude. Yeah, Jeez. I started at 2 and I finished at midnight. I stopped for dinner. I got it all on because it's supposed to rain today, which is raining now. So I got all the wet stuff in here. All my dry stuff that I use for weight is still outside sitting on the farmhouse table, but I put a tarp on it, so hopefully it's okay. But I'm mm-hmm. not too worried about it, I guess. So is it the bandsaw mill that's upping your production rate just because you have it now? Or is this, yeah, would you normally I mean, be cutting I, this much? I mean, it's not that much. I didn't really, I didn't do much of it yet, like last year. Mm-hmm. So a lot of like the logs I had sitting around waiting for the sawmill to be built, and I wasn't cutting that stuff. I was kind of sitting on it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. This isn't really that much production, to be honest, uh, as far as this drying environment goes. Yeah. But um, I haven't done it in a long time, and I forgot how much stinking work it is <laughs> to get this stuff stacked. Like this is by far like this is like the least glamorous, like the no glamour side of milling your own lumber is stacking all this crap. Yeah. It's so much work, but it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a good workout. I'll skip the gym. 
Dude, watching yeah, you move that stuff around in like the farmhouse table series as you're moving these slabs that are about like eight times your weight. <laughs> I'm like, man, that, yeah. it looks dangerous. I mean, legitimately dangerous to, to maneuver those things by yourself. It can be. You have to absolutely know your limits of what you know you can lift yeah. and move around and maneuver. Because if you try and pick up something that's way too big for you and you because it's not just lifting it. It's all like the dynamic forces of like turning and yeah. like getting through a doorway and like yeah. making all that stuff. That That's where you get kind of screwed up but i've gotten in trouble with that before <clears throat> at the lumber yard like you know i'll tend to like put it up on your shoulder you know and you're carrying around on your shoulder looking all arnold schwarzenegger like and like you get it up on your shoulder and then there's like that dynamic force the the inertia it's like you kind of hoist it up there and it keeps going and you oh, know yeah. suddenly you've got this cantilevered weight 12 feet behind <laughs> you and i've ended up on the ground you know looking around to make sure no one just saw that because i'm like that was the stupidest thing i have done in a long time that 16 quarters of peely went up on my shoulder and just kept going and took me down with it i'm like man you're an idiot gravity is an amazing thing <laughs> So one of the things that I had this, I had this revelation as I was stacking the stuff. So when you're when I was I've been milling this whole time, like you know, you kind of like set it off the side, like little piles here and there. I didn't realize how much lumber I've cut already <laughs> until I got it all together in one stack here. Like I have 700 board feet in here right now that I've cut and stacked, and Jeez. there's still more outside. So at some point, I passed the thousand board foot mark. I didn't even realize it. So I'm now into wow. the thousands of board feet on the bandsaw mill already. Now, is the goal to like hoard this stuff and just use it as you go? Or are you trying to sell off most of this? Oh, I sell most of it. I can't. Yeah, you I can't, can't, you can't possibly go through it all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and trust me, I hoard enough of it. Yeah. <laughs> I have my own collection. Right. Collection. The fancy multiple, pile yeah. in the back. Oh, the fancy pile and stuff no one will buy. Did you, I was going to ask you, people are telling me I should have gotten my slab from you. Do you ship this? Is it all local sales? Um, I'll ship it. I've done before. It's kind of, I have to raise the prices for that because it's a lot more work to box it sure. and take it somewhere and all that stuff. There's a lot more work involved with it. Right. But yeah, I, I ship stuff all the time. If I have stuff available, I haven't been drawing much like I said last year, so I don't really have anything right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I shipped a lot of stuff last year. A lot nice. of people in California like Midwestern wood. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think what it works out to be is for them, it's like the same price to have yeah. it delivered to their door than to go buy it locally. Right. Yeah, I, I ship stuff to California all the time, and I'm like, really? Like, this actually costs more to ship it. Like, I'm, you're paying more in shipping than you are for the actual wood. And they're like, well, I don't have any other alternative. Yeah. You know, and everybody that's local, you know, the prices are just sky high because they're doing the same thing. Well, let me ask you this, Matt, because you know, I'm kind of getting into this whole slab thing and realizing, like, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's thing. a thing. It's a thing for sure. It's a thing. Um, <laughs> you know, this whole thing. <laughs> Um, if you are, you know, since you're processing this stuff and, and Shannon, I'm curious in your opinion too, in terms of pricing, cause a lot of the prices for these things are just getting ridiculous and it's because of the popularity, you know, it's becoming, um, this sort of chic thing, uh, in building. And it's so easy for people to make these tables. Uh, it's just very popular. So like when I go locally to, uh, that CS Woods place, the prices there, I mean, what they had was amazing. But the prices, I was definitely a little bit put off by where their price tags were. And I'm thinking, okay, workload-wise and, let's say, availability-wise for things like this, should these, just on paper, and we're not talking about the market, just on paper, should these be more expensive or less expensive than a comparable amount of milled hardwood? More. More. 
And yeah. did they do actually, is it more processing or it just takes up more space? What's, what's the reason it would be more? Both of those yeah. definitely takes up more space compared to edged lumber because you can have a lot more stuff stacked in one spot. Yeah, so it's eating up more inventory. All kinds of different room. crazy shapes. Okay. Um, but in theory, like, as far as I'm concerned, it should be cheaper because it's thicker, less cuts on the mill, right. and I stick it in a corner and leave it alone. And it doesn't need to be yeah. pretty. Not, it's just got to kind of be what it is. Yeah. yeah you're not straight line ripping it or anything like that. There's much less labor, but yeah. it's, it's the, unique, the unique factor. And that's the same you thing just that makes get... reclaimed lumber so expensive right. is because it has a story behind it, you know, and this is, and, and actually in a lot of respects, it's still specialty lumber Yeah, because like, I don't get slabs. We don't get slabs too. at the yard because it's not a commercially sought after product. So all of our, if I wanted, I could request slabs from one of our mills we work with, but that's a special order because they have to change their manufacturing process mm-hmm. in order to produce a slab. You know, it's crazy. So their, it's, their it's, mills are actually like straight line ripping while they're lo- sawing from the log as yeah. well. So it's totally less work, but it's a different process to get to that unique finish point. So it's got to be more expensive. Yeah. yeah. But from a ship perspective, like the fact that they take up more room and they don't stack evenly, like if everything is six to eight inches in width, you can Tetris stack it and like get a, you know, a, a fill up your shipping container mm-hmm. or fill up your dry kiln. If they're all random sizes, you end up with a lot of dead space, which then you have to pack and secure so it doesn't shift in transit or take up the dead air in the kiln so you get uneven drying. So there's something to be said about the um, non-standard size of a slab that uh, should add to its price. Sure. Okay. Just, we're just justifying at this point now. <laughs> yeah. Well, but then add the market factor that people want it. It's not yeah. something that's available everywhere. Um, but you can still it like go, figured lumber. Figured yeah. you can't put a board foot price on it because it, it's unique. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you can say, well, it's curly cherry. And well, cherry is X, you know, board foot, uh, X per board foot for eight quarter. It's like, yeah, but this is curly cherry. Right. But this cherry is more curly than that cherry. <laughs> yeah. <or whatever. laughs> yeah. It's, there's really no rhyme or reason to it. But when we're still in a state right now where depending on where you go, you might be able to get something for 50 bucks a slab, but you go to a specialty place in Denver and that same slab is going to run you three or $400, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I mean, maybe everyone, all the prices will get there eventually. Um, but I think there's still some regions where it's just plentiful that you can really, you know, the people would look at what I spent on my little slab and, and would think I'm stupid for doing it because, you know, but that's all I had access to at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Right, cool. I mean, I think it's the same. It's the same even in dimension lumber. Yeah. You know, you, you'll find some markets where like we have the, we have the, um, the Amish sawmills in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I talk to guys that, oh my God, I got cherry for a dollar a board foot. And you know, I'm selling it for six something a board foot. Right. And it's like, okay, eh, not all things are equal. You know, that may not be dried, <laughs> but it might be, you know, it could actually be the same product. It's probably not the same grade. It's not picked for grade. It's probably not 90%, you know, all heart cherry, but maybe it is, you know, there's this some Amish guy that has, you know, this is his side business because he's also, you know, got a dairy farm or something like that. You know, well, it probably but, comes with some delicious baked goods. Right? <laughs> the Amish make fantastic <laughs> baked goods. Amish whoopie pies. That's right. Which oh. I always find truly ironic that you can buy a whoopie pie at an Amish market. I don't care if it's <laughs> ironic or not. It's just, it's just dang delicious is what it is. <laughs> All right, cool. That was a great uh, little side conversation. I like that. Um, Shannon, what do you You're got welcome. going on? Uh, well, um, shortly after we finished recording last week, I 
got hit with a nasty cold. Oof. So I ended up, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm getting old. <laughs> I used to get over a cold in like two days and uh, I was still feeling it yesterday. But uh, I was like, I've, I've got to get this floor down, this rubber floor that we talked about last week, mm-hmm. mainly because the, the stacks of tiles were just in the way and I kept tripping over them. So then I got started and I laid, you know, they don't, they don't send you a floor plan. Because when you ordered it, like I did, where you have some edge pieces and corner pieces, obviously the corners in a rectangle, the corners are pretty easy to figure out, right? They go in the corners. But I I approached it like a puzzle where I tried to do the edges, the outside first and fill in the inside. But what I couldn't remember is I knew that what I had ordered was not the exact dimensions of my room. I knew that it was smaller than my room because I didn't want to have to like cut in along the edges. I just wanted to lay it and be done with it. So I had to kind of try it a couple of times to figure out exactly how many across the top and how many along the length. So I got the the top edge of the shop done and one long side of the shop done. And then I was just wiped. I mean, you know, when you're sick, it's like amazing. You break out sweat, like walking across the room. And um, so I got enough done. But then it made it actually worse because I had black rubber flooring down with stacks of black flooring on top of it. Oh, <laughs> so I kept tripping over the stuff because you couldn't see it. I mean, like in your personal vision – you can't see it well enough to yeah. know. So the, the number of times that I like took a step to the right and like just took a digger because I tripped over <laughs> the, the floor. And so I was like, all right, this is just a hazard. I've got to get this done. But so it's I'm softer to hit the ground now, right? That's right. Well, at least that. There is that. Uh, of course, the other thing is, is my dog now blends in. That's right. <laughs> black on black. She doesn't move at all. He just stands there and stares oh. at you like, what, you coming to me? And he doesn't move. Or he stands up while you're stepping over him. So like you step oh. over you know, something that's a foot tall and suddenly it gets three feet taller. And you're like, nah. And you got to give Kenny some blonde highlights. Yeah. You'll be able to see him a little do. better. It's true. So um, to answer some of the questions I got on Instagram, um, it, there was a lot of concerns and I'm sure you got this, Mark. People are like, well, you know, is it going to sweep up? Is it going to clean up? Is stuff going to stick to it? And there was a little bit of concern on my part because when it comes out of the box, you know, when it's fresh and clean and everything, there is a little bit of that kind of sticky, clean rubber to it. Yep. That goes away really fast. Yep. Like really fast. <laughs> Just a Walk few coats of a uh, dust. Times. Just from, yeah, you'll I mean, see your shoe prints that- for the first day. Right. So those shoe prints have disappeared and now it's just a slightly duller color Mm -hmm. and it actually sweeps up like a charm now. Um, The next thing was, is will the machines roll around on it, which is not a huge deal in my shop, but um, you know, I've got that 900 pound 20 inch planer um, and I plan to go under the planer and everything. I had to change that plan. Um, A normal mobile base I think would work just fine. And the reason I say that is the mobile base on my lathe, which is not 900 pounds, but it's about 500. It's a heavy cast iron tool um, that rolls around on the floor without a problem whatsoever. And Hmm. the back of my planer rolls around just fine. But this Grizzly planer has that built-in mobile base where it's got that tripod look where there's this single wheel in the front on the little kick pedal. Mm -hmm. And it's that single wheel that is the bastard. (laughs) Yeah, because <laughs> all the weight's concentrated on that one wheel, and as it rolls over the seam, it kind of deforms it, and yeah, it, it starts and to buckle. If you do it right? fast enough, you're fine. But if you roll it slowly, it'll like start to catch <laughs> and like pull stuck. up the floor. Yeah. So you know, I was like, you know what? I could probably work around this, but frankly, my planer doesn't move that much. When I do move it, it's usually because it's up close to the garage door. If I need a lot of infeed room, I'll just open the garage door. If it's too cold and I'm feeling too much of a wimp, I'll move it forward a little bit. Um, but it very rarely moves side to side. So all I did was just skirt the floor around it. So I've got about two feet of side to side motion and about four feet 
um, total mm-hmm. uh, back and forth that I can move it around. And frankly, that's all I've ever moved it. That's all I needed to move it for. I mean, it's got a built-in mobile base, but it's still 900 pounds. It's not exactly easy to move the thing. Yeah. So I just skirted around it and kind of had to change the floor plan and everything to work around that. So to answer the question, yes, machines will roll over it with a butt. You know, it really depends. <laughs> you know, if the weight is evenly distributed, I think it will be fine. Um, I slid my... Um, I, I'm using air quotes for the people listening to this. I slid my Rubo workbench uh, <laughs> yeah. it, and that just did fine. It didn't buckle the flooring at all because the weight's pretty evenly distributed. Uh, same thing with, with uh, the Barnes lathe. So I think it'll be all right with the exception of those like three wheeled type machines, mm-hmm. which frankly, it's kind of it, the one thing I would have to say about the Grizzly as much as I like the built in mobile base, that's a design flaw. I think they really need four wheels on that thing because it just doesn't lift it high enough and it's not maneuverable without that fourth wheel. Mm-hmm. But that's, Hey, you know, it's grizzly. <laughs> I paid much less for that machine than I did for the Powermatic version. So, right. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I built, uh, a Sistrum, which is an ancient Egyptian musical instrument. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that do? Uh, wow. You're busy. It's basically just a rattle. It's just a, <laughs> okay. uh, well, nothing complex, rattly, nothing with strings. <laughs> Yeah, it's something I, I have much more glamorous things in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Look, I oh, built an instrument, everyone. It's something from my wife's. <laughs> I think it's our fifth grade class. <laughs> Whatever. They, you know, they do stuff. The music department does stuff with the history department and everything. So we kind of did a proof of concept to figure out how to make this thing. Because the whole idea is, is we need to take the materials into class and the kids need to make them. So basically with no tooling whatsoever. So I very quickly went down the rabbit hole of like, you know, Oh, we could do this. We could do this. And she kept saying, no, 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 no. The kids have to do this. The kids have to build this. Mm -hmm. Like, so you don't want to hand out chisels in other words, (laughs) is that what you're saying? Um, but it it was kind of cool because, uh, if you've ever had that project where it seems like every time you do a project, you kind of get halfway through and you're like, Oh crap, I need to build a jig or a bench appliance or something like that in order to do the next step. This is one where I actually had everything I needed. Like I needed to slice a bunch of thin plywood in order to create this bending strip mm-hmm. for the, the, for the top of the system. And I actually already had a veneer cutting board, veneer like bench hook ready to go. And I whipped that out, sliced a bunch of them out, needed to cut very clean holes through this thin plywood. I was like, Oh, I have a bird, bird cage all for that. And it was like, Everything just kind of fell into place and like in probably 10 minutes, Hmm. we went from raw materials and like stuff from the Michael's craft store into this working rattle with like this cool, like leather wrapped handle. And, you know, it was pretty fun. Nice. Kind of came together quickly and it was just one of those neat things where, you know, Heather's in the shop with me and we're building it together and it was nice. And it's for kids. Can't beat that. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. I wish I could get her shot more. Well, she could see just how beautiful it is. That's right. And then you wouldn't be able to get her out of there. And you'd be like, I wish she'd get out of here. She'd get out of the shop. <laughs> Stay out of my shop, lady. Uh, all right, let's get into what's new. A couple things to share with you guys here. Uh, first one is a planer sled build that I came across. A video by, um, what's his name, Rod, at My Garage Woodshop. And uh, this is a planer sled from, a, I guess it's a Shop Notes uh, or Woodsmith. I can't remember which one. Same company, but uh, he's basically building that with a few modifications. And it's kind of like if you've ever 
you ever looked at the planer sleds that, I don't know, like if I've ever shown you how to do it, I'm going to probably just hot glue a couple of shims under a board on top of a piece. I don't go that far. <laughs> right. I mean, like you just kind of get it through. under there. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is very elaborate. So if you're trying to flatten a lot of big, awkwardly shaped things and you want to make it flat with just the pass through the planer, you use this sled and, and the system on this sled is, you know, fairly complicated just compared to what, what I've done in the past, but you're, you're basically providing support where you need it with a reusable system and there's no glue involved in this one. Uh, and it's, you know, pretty detailed build and goes through the, the, the whole process of building it. And actually I think it is a worthy jig or fixture. Is it a jig or a fixture? I always get those confused. Uh, but it's worthy of, of being in your shop if you're doing stuff like this. If you want to put a lot of time into developing something that's going to you know stay with you for some time. So good video. Definitely check it out. Cool. I think it's a fixture. Is it a fixture? I, I think so. I always I forget. I hate that. I know there's a fine difference between it dealing with like, do you bring it to the to the workpiece or I, I don't know. It's, it's confusing to me. <laughs> Clarify that for us, folks. We, we appreciate it. Someone yeah, fact sure. check. Fact check us. <clears throat> well, this, uh, this uh, next one, um, Brian Boggs, I think, has built the iconic shaving course. And of course, Lee Nielsen started producing it. And it was interesting because in recent years, there have been a lot of, I, I'll say, better designs that have come out with like adjustable heads and things like that. And it was always funny because there was still this like, oh, the shaving horse is the Brian Boggs shaving horse. And I'm, I kept thinking, you know what? Not so much. Well, apparently he totally redesigned it. Ooh. And apparently I'm really late to the game here because he was actually selling it and taking pre-orders on it up until December 31st last year. Hmm. Um, so now they are selling the plans. And I got to admit, it's a pretty slick design. It's got multiple adjustment points that not only adjust the height of the, um, the, the bed, if you will, but also the angle of the bed. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty sweet. It, it truly is one size fits all uh, in a shaving horse. And it's something that I think was... Uh, uh, very needed because I'd worked on that shaving horse and I was just, I was too big for it. And it just, every time I tried to adjust stuff, it ended up being kind of difficult. So, uh, the, the plans are pretty slick. Like I'm not really a plan user, but these are pretty nice. Like I think there's a good 20 pages of drawings and things like that in here. So, uh, very well done, well produced, uh, similar to the kind of stuff that like Curtis Buchanan is putting out now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, very cool. Check it out. And kudos to grabbing shavinghorse.com as their domain. That's just awesome. That's Interesting. Crap right there. 80 what am I bucks to do now. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, $79 for those plans. Yeah. That's a, I was a little shocked at that price, but at the same time, I'm looking at them going, wow, these are really well produced. And it's kind of a so, specialty thing, you know? Yeah. You sure. can kind of afford to jack the price up a little bit when, when you're looking at something that's very, you know, deep in a niche. Yeah. Um, uh, just a quick little update because I've been getting emails of lately going people saying you should talk more about the lumber industry, um, which, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> people really want to do that. I mean, I guess technically I left work early today to do this, so mm-hmm. let's make it worth our while, right? Um, there is a new um, <laughs> there's, there's a new export tax coming out of Myanmar on teak. Oh. Well, technically it's not official yet, but it looks pretty close to official. So just another long line of guess what teak's going to be more expensive <laughs> mm-hmm. in the next couple of months. But I think it's I think it's important to kind of pay attention to some of this stuff because uh, it's all you know. It's important to know where your stuff's coming from. 
And, and I hear in forums and all over the place, people are constantly like, man, lumber has gotten so expensive. It's important to recognize why it's gotten more expensive because there's all kinds of regulations and like sustainability clauses and things that make it so that we can trace the chain of custody so that when you say, is your lumber legal? You can go, yes, it is. And here's the paperwork that shows what stump it came from and what little province of, you know, the backwater place of Myanmar. And that costs money. Um, so <laughs> there you go. Here's another tax that's unfortunately going to be levied, but the government's got to pay for all of this regulation that is now allowing you to have line of sight into where your legal lumber is coming from. Mm-hmm. That sounds so great. Go. Tell us more on the next show. Yeah, we should have a whole new show. segment for Shannon's industry newsletter. Well, we talked about slabs and that industry side of things. So yeah, there you go. Well, you know, honestly, and to me, I'm figuratively rolling my eyes and literally right now. Um, I see that <laughs> because it does. It, it, it's like, does anybody care about this? So it, people listening to this right now, do you care? Like I happily, not that we need another segment, but I'd happily, you know, throw something in there if you wanted to know. Lumber news. I mean, I can tell you price of poplar is actually rising. I can tell you all about that if you really want to know that stuff. But at the same time, it also could be horribly boring. I think we need to do it like uh, you guys see what's his name? The weatherman, Ollie and family guy. Yeah. (laughs) When they cut to him, it's It's going to rain. (laughs) Yeah. Just be like, (laughs) we got some wood. All right. Next segment. Um, Okay. So another video to share with you. Um, You may have seen Bill Lavolsi's doing a a no lathe pen challenge. So there's a bunch of videos coming out about that. And one in particular uh, caught my eye today. That was uh, pretty awesome. The grain doctor uh, did this one and it's sort of a stop motion Lego thing, but really just creative and fun and just great to watch. So definitely check it out. We'll embed it in the show notes and you can go take a look, give it a like, do something like that. Show them some support. It's awesome. And uh, I had the last one here, don't I? Oh, who put this? Matt, you you don't have anything here. You could take that last one. Matt, you today, can, no. today is the last day for early bird pricing on Fine Woodworking Live. Oh, no. Back now or pay $80 more for exactly the same thing. What? <laughs> that's crazy. Who would do that? <laughs> Lots of people, apparently. Uh, well, that's cool. Fine Woodworking Live. It's back. That's great. Don't think I'm going, though. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to our kickback. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a actually two voicemail kickbacks. First one here is from Ash. Holy smokes, hold on. I think I have... Maybe not. No, 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 no. I got something clicked wrong. Hold on. That sound file went up in Ash. It's going out of my, uh, it's going out of my speakers. Ash, so. Went up in smoke. Let's Turn try this. Here we go. Try it again. Hey, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. This is Ash from Charlotte, North Carolina, with a little bit of kickback from episode 335 about the uh, table saw noise. I've had some experience <laughs> of that. First, I'd like to say that Diablo Ford blades are better than the Irwin contractor blades you get with no saws. They aren't a very high-quality blade. If you take a wrench and you tap the um, surface of the blade, uh, you'll hear a pinging noise instead of a dull thud. Um, very good blades. When you hit them with, like, you tap them with a wrench or another metal object, they'll have a very dull thud because uh, the anti-vibration takes away the noise. Or cheaper quality blades have a high ping, like you'd think from a pitchfork. The other thing I suggest is, because it's a hybrid table saw, the belt is probably a flat belt instead of a V-group belt. 
and you can upgrade to what's called, I think, a link belt, and that will take away a lot of the vibration and help with the noise as well. Hope that helps. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Bye. Cool. Good uh, advice. I almost said Advash because his name is Ash. (laughs) What he needs is a table saw blade made out of vibranium. Mm. You get Howard Stark to build that for you. That's a good idea. Be very expensive, though. Uh, All right. Next one is from Ben. Hey, this is Ben in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Uh, Just talking about uh, the old masters getting online. Uh, You know, Curtis Buchanan has tons and tons of videos uh, on his YouTube channel, and he's always updating them. Um, videos, you know, from the specific chairs that he builds to sharpening tools and whatnot. Um, uh, really worth uh, checking out. All right. Go team. Bye. Go team. Indeed. Go team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if I can add to that, Curtis, uh, Curtis doesn't do the plans. I'm not sure who does them anymore. I think he did at one point, but the plans that Curtis sells for Windsor chairs like that's, that's amazing. Ben is calling in because at one point we talked about how we wish more of these masters would produce like quality content. Mm-hmm. And here's a guy that, um, I mean, you're talking, you could never find plans for Windsor chairs before. It was all just kind of shrouded in mystery. Like what's the angle of the seat and the shape of all this stuff. Now today, literally you could buy, I think he's got like six different styles of chairs and they're phenomenal plans with like a topographic map of the actual sculpted seat and everything. So uh, that that's really exciting. So I'm excited. You sound yay. No, it's a difficult thing to convey in a plan format, a, a chair, you know, because everything is just usually paper, maybe some templates, and translating that into a real life comfortable chair is actually pretty darn tricky. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's one of the the highest forms of, of woodworking, especially if you're going from a plan. That just makes it that much more difficult. Okay, so we got a couple more here uh, to kick back at you. So first one I've got is from Mark. He said, just some kickback on episode 357's discussion regarding the insulating value of rubber flooring. Even though the rubber flooring discussed likely has a low insulation rating or R value, the primary comfort benefit of the rubber flooring of the con- on the concrete is that it breaks the thermal bridge, which is the transmission of law or loss of heat between solid objects. I'm a carpenter and home builder in Denver. And in my industry, that is most often noticed in the loss of heat through wall framing. Uh, It says, i.e. heat transmits through the drywall into your wall studs between your fiberglass insulation into the exterior sheeting and then to the outside environment. We often use thin pieces of rigid insulation between the wall framing and the exterior sheeting or underneath the concrete slabs to break the thermal bridge on homes. The effect would be the same on a garage floor and your feet. The thin rubber flooring quite effectively breaks the thermal bridge between your feet and the concrete floor, reducing the amount of effective heat loss from your feet to the concrete. Just my two cents. Sorry for the wordiness. Keep making the awesome show. All right. Well, thanks for that, Mark. That is actually what we were looking for. That's a a pretty good explanation. And uh, I like it. I'm glad I have it all over the place now. And you can tell all your friends that you're breaking the thermal bridge. That just sounds cool. Well, it's not even floor pads. They're actually thermal bridge breakers. Thermal bridge breakers. (laughs) That's what I call them. And I can sell them for twice as much. Sounds much more destructive and badass. (laughs) Every time I go into my shop, I ride a flaming steed across the thermal bridge. That's right. (laughs) Into the mists of Avalon. Kenny, you're a flaming steed. Yep. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, uh, This next one comes from Alan. He says, why does Shannon badmouth my biscuits? He's a jerk. (laughs) In one of the last shows, he said, all they do is line things up. It's all about glue surface area, son. Whoa, I love that, take I love that he actually writes out, son. <laughs> That's great. 
I've made several houses full of interior and exterior doors held together with S, uh, S6 biscuits and epoxy. Three foot by seven foot by one and three quarter red oak exterior door with full view insulated glass. My first one is doing fine after 20 years. You can squeeze six big biscuits into the joint between the bottom rail and the style. If we were to do a strength test with no glue, your rectangular tenons would win. But we do use glue, right? Mm. Mm. Fair point, Alan. You know, and I will admit maybe I am succumbing to popular opinion or something like that. You know, you think about every time they do joint tests, the biscuit and the dowel is always at the bottom. And like no one ever thinks to actually test that. But a fine woodworking probably has. I'm going to back you up, Shannon. I'm going to defend you for once in this hundreds of shows. For I've done. once. For once. <laughs> well, let me let me just finish by saying Please I have do. no uh, empirical evidence. All I have is hearsay. Yeah. So I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. And neither do I. I'm just making crap up as I go along too. But um, <laughs> the key to what he said is he's using epoxy. And what does epoxy do that regular wood glue doesn't? It fills gap gaps. Filler. It's gaps. I know this one. Right? So if he is using lots of biscuits, and we're just talking about regular glue joints with type bond or whatever, um, those biscuits, and the reason they have the bad reputation is because they typically don't fit very tight. They don't penetrate very deep. And you don't actually have that much glue surface. Now, if you use epoxy, it tends to fill all those gaps. I would say your stuff is holding together because you use the very high-quality, high-strength adhesive, not because you used biscuits. And I think the biscuits do help it, but it's the biscuits plus the epoxy that's really the magical uh, mixture there. And using all that epoxy means all of your glue joints cost a lot more per joint than if you just use regular type on glue. So, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, disparaging it. I think they are helping the situation, but I think the magic ingredient is the epoxy and not the biscuits. I never thought we'd get to like the cost of adhesive being something. <laughs> well, dude, I just spent like a hundred dollars or more actually to replace my supply of epoxy and I buy it by the gallon. So I'm actually saving money, you know? So if somebody is buying this, you know, per project, epoxy is expensive compared to uh, type on. Yeah. What is it like? Anyway, or we could just, 5, more? I could totally be wrong. And, uh, and my apologies to Alan. <laughs> Well, but I still can't get over the, the depth of penetration. Yeah. Like a domino is going to go deeper into the wood. A, an integral tenon is going to give you – it's not just about glue surface. I mean, I don't know. I haven't done the math, but it sure seems to me a, if, on a door like that, I mean, you could throw a three-inch tenon or do a through tenon and get even a longer tenon. The surface area has got to be bigger. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess if you add up all six – what did it say? Six biscuits yeah. in the joint? But they're only they're only penetrating what? Quarter, quarter inch, inch, something like that. Quarter inch, yeah. I mean, that can't be as but strong. Just from a, ultimately, a sh- though, we overbuild, and that's what this is yeah, about. True. You know, Very if true. the door is just being used like a normal flipping door, and not a flipping door, but you know what I'm saying, uh, it's probably not receiving a lot of stress, and there's no yeah, reason. You got to build. You got to build for the zombie apocalypse, Mark. That's you got to be prepared for you know, 900 walkers pounding on the door. All <laughs> that's why about those teenagers run to the room and slamming the door. I hate you. (laughs) Falls apart. Matt and I are getting ready for that business. Style pops off. Coming up pretty soon. (laughs) You never let me do anything. I hate you. All right. All you do is woodwork. (laughs) All you care about is your woodwork. Daddy, all you care about is your bandsaw mill. (laughs) That's right, son. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Your mother wouldn't let me name you bandsaw mill. That's right. Oh, crap. Okay. I think Matt, I think you got the next one. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. After yeah, all the laughing. Doing my job. Uh. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. This is from Andrew. There's some kickback on sandblasting wood. There's an entire industry of sandblasted signs. The folks that make those use a CNC type cutter for foam tape to cushion the blow of the sand as it removes the surrounding wood and leaves the grain. Sandblasting wood is not a new thing. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> I added that part. <laughs> I haven't seen Mark's table yet, but there is a little but there's a little issue with sand getting caught in the grain. Who the hell says it's a new thing? That's what I want to know. I just said I did it. <laughs> well, people didn't did, know about it. That's not my fault. It. Here, check out this brand new concept I came up with. <laughs> I'm going to sandblast wood. All right. Last one here is from Kyle. He says, in regards to determining if wood is air dried or kiln dried, I have a foolproof method. Ask the guy selling it. Ha ha. Enjoy the show. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, I thought that was funny. It, it uh, tickled uh, me. If only. If only it were that easy. Right. He could lie. You never know. Uh, okay, and we've got a voicemail here with a question from Stu. Hey, guys. My name is Stu. Uh, Stu Padasso. I live in southern Illinois, and I just had a quick question about jointers, specifically um, outfeed or infeed support for a jointer. Um, you guys, you, you see guys all the time putting outfeed um, supports for table saw and band saw, work support, like on the wings of a miter saw, like a miter saw station. I was wondering, you know, why is it that you, you rarely see that for jointers? Um, seems like something if you if you had one of those smaller benchtop jointers, that's something that could really, you know, take it to the next level. I just wanted to hear you guys' thoughts, if you've ever seen it, um, how effective it was. Um, I appreciate it. I'll catch you guys later. This is Stupid Asso. Get it? Yes, Stupid Asso, I get it. Um... <laughs> All right, so Matt. He's very intentional about telling us his thing. He's making sure we, we've got the joke. Um, <laughs> all right, Matt, do you want to tackle this? I know you do fairly large, you know, not just slabs, but the lengthy pieces, farmhouse table that you're doing now is a good example of jointing something that's like exceptionally long for your joiner bed. How do you feel about long, in-feed yeah. and out-feed additional support? Um, the issue with the actual support rollers is they have to be in exactly the same plane as those tables. So you're going to have, I mean, you can do it. You're going to end up with a lot of setup time. But the other problem is that there's that gap between the roller stand and then the edge of the jointer table. So you could lose some reference area as like, if you're doing like a bow, you're taking, trying to take a bow out of a board or something, mm-hmm. that bow comes off that roller stand and it's going to drop down onto the rest of the table until it rises back up as it comes back onto the table again. So I have seen extensions done like on the benchtop jointers where people just use like melamine or something to actually physically extend the bed so they have a much longer bed than, than was shipped with the product, which is probably a good way to go about it. So that way the extension and the bed are the same thing and it's a lot easier to get that whole surface nice and flat and all in the same plane so you don't mess up the well, what a jointer can actually do for you get, mm-hmm. get things flat. Yeah, I would think the joiner is probably the most critical tool that you get that perfect alignment. Every other tool that he mentioned, it's not nearly as critical that it be perfectly lined up, you know, whether it's a table saw or miter saw. It could get close, but doesn't have to be dead on. And at the jointer, it could just make the problem, you know, it'll it'll do more damage than it actually does to help you. Uh, all right. Yeah. So if you want to go ahead, you have something to say, Shannon? No, I just I was just thinking about how I would go about doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's like Man, I don't have the patience for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, even if you got the height, the same, so precise. The yeah. height and tilt has to be And then you have to get the tilt right. Work. And then yeah. you, you run into it with your foot. <laughs> and then right. it's all over. That's exactly <laughs> what I would do, too. <laughs> Son but, of a. 
Okay, it start over be, again. Like, for that longer stuff, it can be very helpful to have that roller stand to set like below the surface of the table so that as you're like yeah. getting ready to start the board, you can have some way to support it before you take it off the stand and you're supporting it yourself. And the same thing with yeah. the outfeed. From a safety exactly. perspective. Right. Yeah. For sure. Especially with that bigger stuff. Because then you get if you got stuff cantilevered off the bed far enough, you have to put a lot of pressure down on the bed to get to actually contact the bed to begin with before you start to cut. Mm-hmm. So having that roller stand there can definitely help quite a bit. Sure. All right. Well, if you want to leave us a voicemail, either a kickback or a question, like those folks did, you can get us on Skype. The username is Wood Talk Online or call us at 623 242 5180 and let's get into our email. I've got one here from Rob. He says, I was adding a taper to some legs on a bench to match a farmhouse table I made for my new mother-in-law. I laid out my measurements for the taper and went at it with hand planes. Taper was six inches long, took off about a half inch. Question, I struggled to keep my transition line crisp uh, from the leg into the taper. And in addition, lined up with the taper on the adjacent part of the leg. Uh, do you all have any tips for such a thing? And while we're at it, maybe a review of doing tapers by hand. Thanks for all the work. Love the show, Rob W. Uh, now, I actually very rarely, unless it's a teeny tiny taper, will I do this all with hand tools. I'll typically bandsaw it and just basically skip a bunch of planing and then do the finished planing. And typically with my smoother or low angle jack to do the final smoothing. Um, and what I find is, it, you know, it's a directionality thing and you do have to be careful of tear out. And hopefully you're using a very, you know, you got a sharp plane and you've got plane friendly wood that even if you were to kind of skew the plane and go uphill that you could still get decent results. And what I find is when I go downhill and I'll do that for the initial runs, if I'm not like dialing it into perfection yet, I will go downhill. It's usually better and easier to go with the grain that way. But sometimes I find that you, as you're setting the plane down, you could very easily with the pressure of your hand, tilt the plane back a little bit, and that's going to continually soften the transition point from the flat to the taper. Uh, so what I do to avoid that is I flip the workpiece around and I will very, very lightly plane uphill to finish off that, that cut. And if it starts to tear out, I will sometimes even just, you know, sort of tackle the transition point and almost go across the leg in that uphill motion. So it's at a very steep diagonal, uh, you know, to the, that perpendicular line. And that actually helps me very carefully finesse that, that part of the leg. Now getting it even really just comes down to having a good, strong pencil line all the way around and try to, to plane to the pencil line, but leave it. So you always have that reference point and just go very slowly with light passes. And you can kind of vary your pressure to the left or to the right as you kind of tilt the plane and it starts to attack that taper and straighten it out or allow it to meet the other taper, but it's a matter of good marking lines and then just taking your time and, and applying pressure in different places. Tapers are very forgiving. So focus, you're, you're right to focus on that transition point because where those two tapers meet, if they're off, that's where you're going to see it. But if the angle of one is slightly different than the angle of the adjacent one, no one's going to know, right? And if it's not dead flat, no one's going to know. So yes, yeah, spend the time with that and then smooth the rest of the taper. Um, hopefully that gives you a couple of tips. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that. Well, I'll just add that, Rob, I got, and it wasn't from you, it was from somebody else. I got a similar question um, a couple days ago uh, to my Renaissance Woodworker email, and I'm actually going to approach that in my shop update this week. Oh, so, nice. Uh, take a look to my YouTube channel in the next week or so, Stay and tuned. you'll see how I go about making ten, uh, tapers by hand. Very nice. Sounds good. Not a whole lot of rocket science to it. <laughs> yes. All right, Matt, you has that sound like a background noise going on there. I do. My wife just got home. She's getting loud. Oh, well, look at this. I did not realize you were on a thing. There is this new place in town. Oh, dude, she's bringing you a Duncan? 
Where's wow. mine? Free donut. You never pay for donuts. Never pay for donuts because you felt the survey that they give you on the receipt every single time you go in. Every single time. And you get a free donut every single time. And I think oh, I'm the really? only one who does it because every single time they're like, that's so smart. People should do that more often. I'm like, yep. Yeah, I'm going to start knowing you. You're the free donut lady. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's 4.92, I know. <laughs> so I think we need to change our little opening tagline to three guys who are not worthy of their wives. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's more likely the attractive woman thing that gets you the free donut because uh, I ain't getting no free donuts. Seriously. <laughs> I ain't getting out of traffic tickets. Yeah. I'm not getting anything. Even even when you got all clean shaven, you didn't right? get free donuts. Nobody's giving yeah. this face free donuts. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? Now they do. They have that survey all the time. And I'm like, you know what would be helpful, folks? I don't eat your damn donuts. Give me a free coffee. That's what I want. <laughs> I don't want your free donut. I'll give you, give me 10 free donuts for uh, a coffee. That would be, I'll save mine up. How about that? That's save cool, them, send them to me. I'll eat them. I want some Dunkin', dude. All right. Oh, everyone who's listening, please send Matt your unused donuts. <laughs> I'm going to send you my receipts, Matt. How about that? I, I want like 300 donuts to show up at Cremona's house <laughs> next week. Yeah, and your wife doesn't have to get them anymore. Hey, hey quick question. This is really important. What kind Even of if they have a bite taken out of it, send it to them. Yeah. What kind of donut did you get? If it's not uh, Boston cream, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Oh, it's not that. Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Ch- chocolate? Like a chocolate on chocolate? Oh, yeah. Dang. It's like Kenny laying on Shannon's floor. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. You can barely see the frosting. That's right. Chocolate glaze with chocolate frosting. Dang. All right. You ruined my evening. Yeah, I, I gotta keep my caloric intake up, you know? <laughs> Apparently, yeah, with all that slab moving. I'm you, wasting away over here. You need all that sugar. Uh, okay, so who's next? That was me. Oh, no it's more. you. You want to take a bite of that donut before you go? Or? So, um, Were you interrupting? Yeah, but we have a show to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait the Shannon talks. So I'm pretty much guaranteed at least seven minutes to eat that donut. That's true. Yeah, you got to make sure you chew into the mic. <laughs> yeah, just so go. everyone can share it with you. Lick your fingers. That'll be great. Oh gosh, this one's from Nick. <laughs> says, I'm working on a live edge bench. Uh, both slabs, seat and back, have bark still attached. The bark seems tight to the wood, which is figured cherry. Assuming, assuming I like the look of the bark and I'm comfortable with having the bark uh, slope away from the seating surface as if the bench seat was undercut, two questions. Uh, any reason the bark should be removed for stability, finishing, or other issues not relating to the appearance or scratching of clothing? And two, if I leave the bark, how should I treat it? Kindly, of course. <laughs> but should I coat it with epoxy before finishing? Um, that'd be too much for CA glue, no. Or should I spray it spray with lacquer just like the rest of the bench? Hmm. Nick. All right, so two questions there. If it, um, if it's not falling off already and it's still pretty tight to that, it's probably not going to come off. Um, I've left bark on on a number of occasions and it's been just fine. Um, as far as finishing goes, if it wasn't a bench where people would be like rubbing up against and stuff all the time, um, coating with just lacquer would be just fine. I've done that on stuff before. And as long as it's not like a heavily wearing thing, or you don't have kids like I do now who like to pick that stuff off because <laughs> cherry is a flaky bark. Which is the other problem with cherry is it flakes off and you got kids come by like, oh, look, something. Let me just pull all this piece of bark off. Tree scab. Let me just exactly. say it's like pulling a scab. <laughs> and there's lots of them. They just pull them forever. Right. So there's that. So because it's a bench, I would do some kind of a, a epoxy coating um, on like stuff like a maple or like walnut where the bark's a lot tighter. I would say go with something like a wet system where you could just brush it on. It'll absorb just fine, and it's not really that hard to apply. 
But for something like cherry, we really want that bark to stay on there because it's so flaky. You got to have something that's going to be it's going to pantry a lot more. So I would honestly say to try a pantrating epoxy like the CPS on that because that'll actually soak into those flakes and finish a lot easier. The other problem with the wet system is if you're not really diligent when you're applying it, it can puddle and pool. And then instead of having like this like this bark look, you have like this plasticized look because the bark is literally coated in epoxy instead of being strengthened by the epoxy. Nice. So the other thing too is since the bench, you're talking about like legs rubbing on it, probably want to like buff it out afterwards or something just to make it not so sharp feel. You're talking about bark. Kenny's getting excited. He's like, bark? Okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can bark. No problem. (laughs) Look at that. (laughs) All righty. Okay. Well, now that Kenny has shared. (laughs) Thank you, Kenny. Uh, This uh, next question comes from Chuck Thompson. Not the formal voice of the Baltimore Orioles baseball team, but that's why I picked it. It's Chuck Thompson. That's over my head. Yeah, well, spring training starts Friday, <laughs> so technically spring training's already in. Never mind. I'm going to stop talking about baseball because no one cares but me, apparently. No, keep talking about it. Uh, Matt has a donut to eat. <clears throat> it's true. true. Keep talking. It's true. Matt said I have to take seven minutes, right? Right. Jeez, I don't know if I can do that. Because Chuck wants to know, I'm giving up on Waterstones due to the relative mess. I'm thinking of, of the purchase price of a diamond plate. Uh, three by eight inches. what I went with is likely worth the trade-off due to the longevity of the diamond plate sharpening stones. Comments? Thoughts? Uh, Chuck, I I went the same route. Um, although I wish you hadn't already bought a diamond plate because I was going to recommend you go another direction. Now, a 3 by 8 diamond plate is fine. Um, I think the continuous diamond plates they sell now are much better than kind of when I got kind of started in woodworking and these diamond things came along, the ones with all the little holes in them. They didn't do quite the same job, but I have now been exclusively diamond plates for a year and a half, almost two years, I guess. And uh, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with the Magna Base system that DMT sells, which is magnetic base and a big 12-inch long double-sided continuous diamond stone. Mm-hmm. I think is awesome because you get that big 12-inch long um, plate that you can sharp and super super fast on they do not give you the same high polish that you would get so for instance if you're used to like an 8000 grit water stone and you go with the extra extra fine diamond stone it will not give you that same mirror polish i think you're still getting a very very sharp edge um, but you might find that you either want to keep your water stone that high water stone or just get yourself a strop um, these days i just work with the uh, extra fine and extra extra fine and then go to a strop but I'm mostly stropping all day long. Um, going back to the stones, like, I don't know, once every six honings or so. Mm-hmm. Somebody wants to say hi. Say hi, buddy. Hi. <laughs> okay. Can you go back inside, though? Okay. Thanks, pal. Oops, you kicked my headphones out. Somebody got haircut. Okay. You're fine. I'll see you in a little bit. Yeah. You finally trimmed that ragged mop. Come on. Sorry about that. You kicked my headphone thingy out. All right. A little guest appearance from Mateo. Are you finished? I was paying attention to <laughs> We're commenting on your son's hairdo. Oh, yeah. It's a little bowl cut Listening. action going on. 
I don't love it. Uh, all right. So we have an email extra coming up if you are interested in that. So $4 patrons over at patreon.com slash woodtalk. Uh, $4 or more and you'll get access to our email extras. And there's quite a few actually sitting there in the archive. You can catch up and listen to the latest one. We're going to talk about radial arm saws and our teaching preferences. And there's a third one in there. What is that last one? Uh, what pushed us into doing this stuff full time? So these are three questions. That's like that's like three for one. Normally we do one question. Uh, We're those, too generous. We are. We seriously are. Honestly, it's almost like a charity, but not at all because it's for profit. <laughs> uh, okay, so how you can support us? We just mentioned uh, one way. That's Patreon, of course. Patreon.com/slash/woodtalk. Our charity effort. That's right. Support <laughs> support this good cause, folks. Um, you can uh, also get a Wood Talk T-shirt at twwstore.com. And uh, something that doesn't cost you a thing other than a couple of seconds of your time going into iTunes and leaving us a review. And uh, five-star ratings are fantastic. We love them. And Shannon, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. I can do that because <clears throat> apparently I read really well. That's what we heard. That's what someone left. Someone left a feedback uh, on uh, what was it on the website? And it, uh, ironically, because he said that the way Shannon reads emails is really good. His his voice, the, the way the inflection, the rise and fall, stopping for periods, pausing for commas. But he left that comment on one where Shannon actually never read a question. <laughs> never. <laughs> so either he's confused and he thinks that you know either me or uh, or Matt are Shannon, or he just grabbed the first one he could find and left a comment. <laughs> I just left such an impression on the guy. What can I say? That's what it is. You have that effect. So, anyway, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, or want to know if Matt should buy woodtalk.org, there are several (laughs) different ways that you can tell us that. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is woodtalkonline. You can call us at... (laughs) 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 Don't call me. (laughs) You can call us at a number. (laughs) Sorry. 623-242-5180. Yes. Oh, or way you to can go. use the contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Or just come and leave a comment on the website and tell me how beautifully I read. Yes. It makes me happy. I like it. You got a voice of honey, my friend. Yeah. So don't forget, you can go to thewoodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodwhisper.com, or just pick any random domain out of the air <laughs> and Matt probably owns it. Yes. And it redirects to Matt Cremona. Yeah, or if you have an idea for a domain, email that to Matt, <laughs> let us know about it, and uh, we'll put it on the air and make sure he has to buy it, because that's fun. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. We will catch you next time. Bye. Go- goodbye. What are you guys waiting for? <laughs> I, I, that donut. I wasn't sure oh. if you turned off the recording right or not. Nope, I'm still recording right now. Oh, well. Something, something, something.